This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. Today, I talked to Lara Lalemi, CEO of Creative Tuition Collective and an aerosol chemistry PhD student. Lara is also involved in the LGBTQIA projects and a decolonization of science consultancy. She's definitely a woman with a strong navigational purpose on a mission in the world. And she shares with me in today's episode how she went from zero self-belief to being able to fully believe and trust in who she is. We have an important conversation about the compounding effects of being a woman in science, a black woman, and a queer black woman. And she also talks about how she's expressing her purpose in the world through the Creative Tuition Collective, which brings a holistic approach to innovative and inclusive education, supporting students from low-income backgrounds, marginalized and underrepresented communities. I absolutely loved this interview. I could not stop asking questions and I'm sure you will feel the same way too. So let's dig into today's episode. So welcome Lara to the show today. It's so nice to have you here. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I wondered if you could start by just briefly introducing yourself so everyone knows who you are and what you're up to in the world. Sure. Um, So my name is Lara Lanami. I'm a final year PhD chemistry student at the University of Bristol and I'm also the chief executive officer of my organization called Creative Tuition Collective. Um, I do various other things that you're going to find about in a bit which I'm really excited to talk about. Uh, Thank you, thank you for introducing yourself and I always like to find out how people actually end up doing science, in particular chemistry, because I'm a chemist as well. So Mm, I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. Mixing chemicals. I don't talk about it now because I feel like I can't remember. Oh, my God. It's so strange. I only did it a couple of years ago. And so many people are like, oh, you know, chemistry. You can answer that question. I'm like, oh God, no, I can't. Like it's as soon as you learn more, le- uh, more and more about less and less, you forget all of the other stuff that's practical. So yeah, I can understand why you no longer answer questions about it. Yes. So then, then I would say the researcher never leaves you though. That kind no. of the way in which I think is still very much. You're a critical analyzer. That's what chemistry does. It like you critically analyze text, people, life it's a general skill that you learn yeah it's that now I connect the dots in people's brains (laughs) or in my brain um nothing to do with any compounds in any way (laughs) (laughs) I see I see but yes so tell me a little bit about how you came to um sort of enjoy science in your life or get initiated into science Oh, um, so often in what I talk about, I, I think I established my why, why I'm doing this quite early on. So um, when I was six years old, I saw an ad for um, that was about African babies starving. And I was like, OK, 
I don't want this to happen in a world that I'm living in. So I've got to cure the world because I think in my six year old brain, it just a cure meant solve. And then, so I was naturally gravitated towards science because I was like, okay, medicine's going to help me find a cure. That makes sense. Doctors cure things. And um, a lot of my family, I had quite a lot of science capital, which is really actually integral to young people getting into science, having people around you that are within the sector or studying it. So you feel like, number one, you have access to it. And number two, you have opportunities. So my, my mom gave me, um, allowed me to have access to um, or gave me the opportunities to have uh, to have access to um, hospitals where I was able to do work experience with um, colleagues. And actually, um, what I found out was quite interesting because originally I wanted to do medicine and I didn't get the grades to do medicine. So I, I didn't get the grades in A-levels, um, in, so in ASs or A2s. So I had to retake them. And so the plan was to go and do chemistry and then do medicine afterwards. Um, so I was always, I love science. I, be, I believe like science is really creative, but I never felt like I was good enough to do pure anything my plan was just to get biochemistry and go to medicine and then I did this placement with which my mum got me and I started to think like I don't know if I'd be a very good doctor like I don't think I'd I don't like standing up all day I, I'm very bad at like um group efforts like I'm just very I, I love working in a team but medicine just I knew it wasn't for me for some reason but because Throughout my life, everyone had said medicine's like the pinnacle career you could go to. That's and I had this idea of finding a cure. That was what I went to. So anyway, fast forward, um, I went to University um, of Bristol to do chemistry. And yeah, I started science, um, studying it. And I actually I was like, oh God, I love chemistry. Um, in my school, I set up my school's first chemistry society because I loved chemistry. And I I don't know why I didn't connect the dots. Like maybe you just like science. Um but I did, and I I love the mixing the chemicals. I love the ability to like shock and like excite people, to create, to enthrall, like to leave a legacy with papers. So I realized actually maybe chemistry was for me. Um, so I switched, yeah, switched to doing a master's in chemistry, and actually that's how I kind of my I mean my my path is a little bit longer than that. <laughs> like I'm doing a PhD now, but um, yeah, never thought I'd be in science. I think it's just science is so creative and I'm a creative person and it just every part of my brain is like lighting up when I do science so I think that's what got me into it but yeah and I think I found my way well in my head and I will we'll talk about it later but like I found my way to finding that cure that I was looking for um through science um and so I've re-established my why um which is really beautiful in and of in and of itself because yeah sometimes you feel like you you lose your path doing science because there's so many options out there so science is like yeah give me so many options but also allowed me to like really like um narrow down what I wanted to do in life um and I really have enjoyed that part of it amazing amazing I, long. I don't know if I got to the point sorry yeah I think so I think what I heard in there was this um like the younger version of you who saw the starving children in Africa wanted to solve meaningful problems in the world. It was like a driving force then yeah. for making decisions. And I often find when I speak to people that there is that moment where we decide what we want to be. Like mm. I'm going to be a doctor so that I can do the actual yeah. purpose in the first place. Mm -hmm. Get so caught up in this becoming this thing 
that we lose sight of what the actual purpose was in the first place. So it it sounds like you managed to reconnect with that bigger why as opposed to um, having to have a specific expression of that in the world. Oh, wow, yeah, you definitely got exactly what I was trying to say, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah exactly I only say that because I too applied to do medicine to you know help other people and to be of service and then didn't get the grades and went and did chemistry and went to reapply to do medicine after chemistry and didn't get in the second time (laughs) but I think it was probably the universe trying to say this is not your pathway you do not have to do that but I often think that culturally this can often happen that specific types of jobs are culturally celebrated and we're often like pushed towards them or they are celebrated by people or acknowledged as being really valid things to do and therefore that influences um, our choices as well. Is that something that you've noticed culturally for yourself? Um, I think at the time when I was younger, I would have yeah I did think that but now looking back I don't think my parents cared what I well now they say they I don't think they care what I do um as long as I'm happy and I'm fulfilled and I can sustain my life right so they now they're not so but back in the day I think because I went to a grammar school and intelligence and overachieving and being confident all these things were so admired and so pushed for that because medicine was at the top um, of the, like the food chain of careers like you naturally gravitated to wanting to do that because you're like well that or engineering like it was um it was just seen as a really good career to have and actually it was interesting because yeah I think a lot of people within the black and brown community their parents because their parents understand or know uh, about medicine and engineering and the careers it can afford you and the affluence it can afford you that's why they're more likely to like support that it's not that they wouldn't support anything else it's just that there's not a lot of information for parents about what chemistry can do for you there's not a lot of information about like what history can do for you do you know what I mean it's not taught about the conversion it's always taught about like well the career itself do you know what I mean and so I think a lack of information in our education curriculum and our career curriculum leads to this misinformation about like what careers can actually afford you good jobs because chemistry is just as important or is just as good at or could lead to as many benefits as medicine can um and I think what the problem is is that when you do put like medicine or engineering on like this pedestal a lot of kids aspire to do it and then they do it and they realize it's actually a lot harder to be a doctor than you think it is and also doctors don't get paid enough I I completely understand that they get paid higher than a lot of people in the health sector but they don't the amount of hours they work like the amount of work they do the amount of stress they're under like in this country is particularly bad so I think it's glamorized to an extent and I'm really grateful that I wasn't I didn't aim for that it's for a particular type of person that wants to help people. It's not for someone that wants to earn money. It's not that I want to do either, but like, yes. do you know what I mean? <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. If you looked at uh, pay per hour for doctors, it probably wouldn't meet minimum wage. It's really bad. The only way that they 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 excel is, is by doing weekends. And I know this because I've got a family that are in the healthcare sector and my brother's um, a doctor. So it's, I see how hard he works and it's not that I, I work that hard too. Um, well, not to compare, but like I work hard and so does my brother. Um, but 
just the the strain and the stress and the the public facing side of it just wasn't and isn't for me um and so I think yeah I think there's a type of resilience you need to do medicine and there's a type of resilience you need to do science um but like people need to learn what what one or where they want to go I guess where they want to put their energy yeah so talking about where you want to put your energy I know you kind of finished that story a little bit short as in I went to do chemistry so how did you go in that chemistry pathway and what led you to doing what you're doing now in your PhD well that's a very good question um so yeah I think I think one of the messages I want to get across and I don't know if I have yet is that um I think a lot of what I've done is uh, had to, or is had to take a lot of self-belief. And when, so when I first entered chemistry, I had zero self-belief. I was like, okay, I just want to get the bare minimum to, to pass um, because I don't think I'm good enough to do anything else. And then I was like, well, okay, I'm because I'm naturally competitive. I was like, well, I'm going to go on a master's because that's seen as the highest thing you can do right so I did that but then in my first year I failed my the math part on my degree so I got kicked off the master's in industry and got put on just a straight master's again another great decision um so I I kind of coasted along thinking I couldn't do very much and then in my second year I got a first and I was like wait actually maybe I'm I'm not as bad as I keep thinking in my head um and so when it came to third year, which was the year I was meant to do industry, we did this project with um, this brilliant professor called um, Professor Dudley Shalcross. And the project was about making an abatement system that's transportable to measure a certain um, chemical compound in the atmosphere. And I made it and it was honestly one of the best projects I've done. It was great working with him, interviewing him. And it, I got like one of the highest grades I've ever got in my um, chemistry degree. Um, and that's because I was so passionate about it. And that led to me doing an internship around atmospheric chemistry. Now I went in your fourth year, you have to choose a particular project to do. So I felt I went for my top one, which was atmospheric um, chemistry. Didn't get that because again, third year I dipped again in the grades. Um, and my second one was aerosol science. And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to make the best out of it, what I could. So I got aerosol science and at first I didn't like it <laughs> at first I was like mm, I don't know um but then I got to work with really clo- cool lasers it was close as I was ever gonna get to like a laser and using one and being close to Star Wars so I was like okay right um <laughs> that. that is what it is I I'm just gonna apply myself and then my supervisor at the time said to me oh have you thought of doing a PhD I had applied to do a PhD somewhere else um but I didn't I didn't again I didn't know if aerosols was for me or I wanted to do it um and I didn't yeah I just didn't think I was good enough um but long story short I went for the PhD because I was was like well I know it um and I don't want anyone else to do it so I went for it and I got told on the day that I got the the, got the job got the PhD which was surprising to me because 16 year old me had again told myself I would never ever be able to be good enough to do a PhD because how like that's for like boffins like that's for like really really clever people that can suss out like or figure out how to create a title out of nothing like how am I ever going to add anything to the scientific community right um but it's not like that it's a it's a really common misconception PhDs are 
sometimes already formulated they're very much a group effort and it's accessible to anyone that has a passion for understanding more about science it's not like I, I think again we put PhDs at, on a pedestal that we don't need to do like doing a PhD doesn't again have to lead you to academia as well I think throughout my PhD I've learned so much more about myself than I ever would going into industry I've learned that I'm actually tenacious tenacious yeah resilient um organized but also I've realized a lot of my weaknesses that I need to work on um it's really given me that breadth of like understanding um and who I was when I entered my PhD was completely different to who I am now um so I guess my journey I I want people to get from this is that like it's okay like I failed at many points I made mistakes at many points um but having a faith in yourself to that eventually you'll find the way or you'll find the path is the most important thing you just got to believe in what and who you are um because that's the most important thing everything else will fall into place and if you do see yourself like I like I said like I got kicked off that year industry course like I could have taken it as an embarrassment hurt my pride you know things like that but what I did was like I was like okay let me turn this into an opportunity and what actually that afforded me was the opportunity to uh, apply for being the president of Fusion Society, which is the chemistry society at the university. And in my last year, I did a I did a series of lectures. Like I, it was the first time the university or like the chemistry department had really seen um, the lectures that I brought. So it was like a fireworks lecture, um, which we had to shut off a lot of the fire alarms, which no one was happy about. Um, and then was, I love yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was the gastronomy one where we fooled people into believing that red white wine was red wine by just food coloring all of these sites and we gave a scientific basis to why but the last event was diversity and stem and it really it brought together people from different minor marginalized or minoritized groups to talk about okay what is stem belonging in stem mean to them and do they feel like they do even belong to stem and i think that really was a catalyst in changing and spurring on this movement that I'm on now um but yeah like it nothing happens in isolation because even in that event one of my best friends called Frankie um had really encouraged me to get to get more into university and to like to have my voice heard and so I started with mini projects like being the LGBT rep all this stuff throughout my university degree like doing bits and bobs organizing people but I, I wasn't really like the main person until that year and I really did feel like I shone like in that year um, because I actually allowed myself to be myself and I, I brought all my ideas to the table and people loved them and it was really like inspiring to me. So I've kind of kept on that path and it's led me down a beautiful, beautiful storyline, I guess, and still continuing today. Yeah, and I think often the more that you allow that storyline to unfold, the more you find your pathway and the more it kind of shows you what the next step is as well but I really like what you were saying about self-belief there because often we see these sort of show reel of highlights of people you know like oh I've got a degree master's PhD postdoc in chemistry I did blah 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 and you see it all over LinkedIn and we make these comparisons with people that we've seen or that we like and it doesn't represent the vast majority of the efforts all of the failures that happen along the way. And it's really great that you're saying, you know, look, I failed here and here and here and it didn't work out. And this didn't work out either. I didn't get the project I wanted, all of the things. 
and actually being able to separate out your self-worth from those failures is critical because so many people make attachments to both successes as well as failures, being able to drive their self-esteem and being able to have that as a separate entity and your own journey with self-esteem, I think is fantastic. And the fact that you're kind of talking about it is even more inspirational to me. Yeah, I think more people need to talk about their mistakes um, because like now I look back, I'm like, oh my God, that was, that mistake led to this and this led to that. And like, I, you just, that self-reflexivity, because at the time it does feel like the end of the world. I'm not going to sit here and say to everyone that like, failing is fun. It's horrible. Getting rejected from grants is horrible. It's all not great, but you just have to believe in your bigger plan. And that like, you work hard in the things that you want to work hard in, you will get there eventually with support of course yes yeah that trusting in yourself but also trusting in life as well I think yeah Um, and surrounding yourself in people that are growth mindset people like I've realized actually one of the best most intelligent decisions I've ever made is surrounding people one surrounding myself with people that are better at things than me well better at my weaknesses if that I don't know how to word that so like where I'm weak they're strong you know so like I can learn from them and also finding mentors that would put me in positions when, or talk about me when I'm not there. Do you know what I mean? So like yes. put me in positions of um, of jobs, of opportunities, of different things. Like that's how I've kept going. Like people talking about what I'm doing, like how great I am. And then that's what keeps going to so grow your network. Grow. People are just as integral as the job and hard work itself. I fully agree. I think environment dictates your performance. And when you have that supportive community around you who's offering visibility opportunities and that's supporting you, and actually in leadership, we talk about a leader wants to surround themselves with people who are better at individual parts than they could possibly do themselves. That's the sign of great leadership when they have a really strong team around them. Um, And I think that's what you're kind of building and being really intentional and conscious about that. And one of the areas that you spoke about so far is that the belonging piece of um, being in chemistry. Do do I actually belong in this environment? I'd love to know a little bit more about your experience as a woman, as a black woman, and as a black queer woman in chemistry, which is a, a subject that by default um, has women as a minority in it and I wondered what your experience was as a whole of all of those compounding effects no yeah that's a really great question I think within my department I've never felt othered I don't think anyone's had the confidence to other me or make me feel less than because of who I am however I think people particularly white cis men white cis het men get to pick and choose when they want to be involved in this conversation around minority groups and when they don't whereas I don't get to pick and choose whether to be a black queer woman I just am so when you see like disasters happening like um the the LGBTQ shooting or the um black um, Black Lives Matter George Floyd moment or Iran women protesting and you hear about all these stories like they affect you so much more deeply and cut you so much more deeply than than those cis men so it's I guess it feels, you feel different. Do you know what I mean? You feel like a different type of anger. And I can, I have sympathy or empathy for those um, people that don't, that don't understand, but it's just frustrating. 
because I want to create a space that has a sense of belonging for people like me like inherently inbuilt into its culture but it's just not inbuilt in the, the culture of chemistry it's it's seen as like outside or additional work when it should be embedded right and it's not because people get to pick and choose what agenda they want and I think that's problematic so no I don't feel like I belong in this department yes some of that is my own internal imposter syndrome everyone has it but also at what point has the department or like not even just the department what point has um chemistry as a I guess a topic really talked about other people or other beings other than like I guess the white men that I saw in my textbooks like I didn't see anyone really of color I've, n- I've never got taught by anyone of color apart from one lecturer who's amazing called Professor Verinda Agawam but he was the only person we got taught by. We in the first year of university, not we didn't get taught by one, a woman at all. And yes, the statistics has improved now, but that's what it that's what it is. It's like, oh, thank God we've improved, but it's it's where it's not it's marginal. You know what I mean? And it's it's still this feeling of like it's not enough. Um, I still don't feel like I belong, and and so. And I wonder, I really want to do more work in the university or within my department, like what other black and brown students feel like, do they feel the same way as me? Do they want more work to be done around this topic? Because I feel like I don't want to be a one-man band, but I have been a one-man band um, for quite a long time, speaking about the inequalities and inequities that are proliferating throughout the university. But um yeah, it's going to be really interesting to the, with my work to see if like more students want to feel like they belong and how to create that sense of community, which is so missing from science. Because I think science, again, likes to feel like it's objective and like a um, divorced or divorced or devoid from opinion or uh, people. But science in its very essence is subjective. There's no objective part of science because it's how you measure it and who measures it, and who interprets it. So I think, yeah, I think people have to feel like like we have to create this sense of community and I guess belonging within science that's, that touches more students than it currently does. Um, and it doesn't really matter. Like, I think everyone, everyone, no matter who they are, even those cis white men that I talked about have felt othered in their life. Everyone's, everyone can tap into that feeling. So why not keep creating or why not, yeah, I guess keep creating a space where more and more people can feel like they're belonged and don't feel like they're the other, you know? Um, I do think it's really profound what you've just said. And what I'm really taking from that is I have that experience currently of being able to dip in, dip out, listen to the news, hear it, feel it, and then be able to carry on with my day. Whereas what I'm hearing there is actually you can't do that from your side of this, the, the experience, and that that must take a huge amount of headspace and energy. I remember during the pandemic, there was always this like ping, ping, pandemic happening, but you've got that going on all the time in multiple different spheres. It must be it stop. exhausting, I, w- I would imagine. And the other thing yeah. that I wanted to bring in there is that actually, I'm hearing that there's a really big need for the community and the safe spaces and the support and the engagement. 
but it also shouldn't really fall to individuals who are you know then responsible for it because then that takes away from your uh day-to-day work and your pathway and your ability to succeed in that pathway as well so there needs to be a lot more structure and um I guess people that stand up and say it's not currently on my radar but it should be to join in as well it shouldn't just all be on this one black person (laughs) in the chemistry department no and luckily like now there's a lot more allies within the department there's people coming up to me and said Lara I've done this and Lara I've done that and I'm super proud of it and but again it's the same people that are already trying to fight the good fight um I think the problem is is like everyone needs to fight this fight no one gets to opt out of it and that's the problem like people think it's an optional thing it's not and the reason why it's not optional is because we're not creating the globalized um citizens or the globalized students that we think we are um these students don't understand about the connection with science and society we don't delve into these issues you know and that's i think is i believe is a problem yes i i absolutely agree too and i know that you are doing some other projects alongside of your PhD to start to like bring, as we said, with your purpose, meaningful solutions yeah. um, to, to real problems. Um, and I know there's at least three different threads to this. So can you briefly describe the three different projects that you're involved with? Sure, no, no problem. So the whole point of this, these projects is to there's a leaky pipeline in science so yes you get maybe equal parity of uh, black and brown and women going into science or chemistry at undergraduate but as you go up from postgraduate to um, academic to even in industry you get a massive drop off um, and it all starts from when they are thinking about what subject they're doing in school so the first project that I've I kind of I've started and it's my real big passion is creative tuition collective um you Please, can you tell us a little bit more about the Creative Tuition Collective? Sure, I'd love to. So Creative Tuition um, Collective was really born out of this love and understanding that science is should be fun to learn. It should be fun to engage within. And I guess let's go back to that imagery that I saw when I was six years old, um, I realized uh, obviously the reason why they were starving was poverty. And one of the ways or one of the prongs of um, helping social mobility out of poverty is education. Having a good education really does give you the tools to work your way up and work your way out of um, the socioeconomic situation you're in. So um, in doing that, Crazy Tuition Collective is like an education non-for-profit it's a collective based in Bristol and we provide young people with better opportunities to succeed in life. Um, We offer free science and technology tuition, extracurricular workshops and mental wellbeing and life skills sessions run by a professional therapist. And the whole mission of Praise Tuition is to build the confidence in young people through providing them with a safe, nurturing and inclusive learning environment. It is our vision to create a world in which a child's social mobility and access to education is not limited by the circumstances in which they're born. Um, so it really is that like that trying to plug this pipeline of trying to get young people into science, trying to understand why science is important to them and actually allowing them to enjoy learning it and succeed within it, um, whatever that might look like, you know. Um, so 
yeah that's what we do I, I like and currently we're going into our so we're going into our pilot scheme so we've done our proof of concept um but we we want to prove the concept again so we're working with a school in bristol with 10 students we're offering them free laptops which are donated by um, a wonderful person to us um and yeah we're, this year we're taking them through biology chemistry physics and uh, mathematics and we're also teaching them um, about the nine emotional needs so everyone has emotional needs so just as much you need to drink water and eat food you have nine emotional needs that you absolutely need to attend to and those are such beautiful it's a, it's a beautiful journey to go on to understanding what those needs to do and we want to take students in a, in that understanding and uh, allow them to kind of I guess develop cope mechanisms when each of those needs are like not met. Um, so we talk to them about developing their mental health, their mental well-being, what healthy, good, um, good mental health looks like and would look like to them um in group sessions. And then like we want to put on some extracurricular workshops. So I do workshops around diversity in STEM that's showing students actually there's scientists from Nigeria to Venezuela um, doing some incredible stuff um, that they don't know about and actually getting to learn about them is actually really interesting. They actually love doing it when we do it. Um, and also learning about money, um, which may not seem like anything to do with STEM, but it's everything to do with STEM. It's no point having money if you can't keep it. You know, so it's talking about how you invest money, how you keep money, how you save money. What does budget looking look like? What does tax mean? What does the mortgage mean? Those kinds of information which we didn't get when we were younger. Um, we're trying to give to the students to let them know that like we're, we're there to support them in their own like growth journey. And I think that's a really holistic view of someone's development as well. And I am fully on board with the money management systems because it's something that wasn't taught in my educational system. And it's something that only in the last five years have I really like engaged with and it's made a huge difference. Um, but also that, yes, access to education and showing people that representation matters is critical, but without the mindset to be able to believe in yourself there's still gonna be this barrier as well. So I love that you're bringing all of the different components together to give people a really, really fantastic chance and start in their lives. And I can't wait to see how you follow them and see what happens next as a result. That's gonna be some really interesting data. And case yeah, to I'm really excited. Um, like if we can prove the concept, then I'm hoping we'll get a lot more supporters and sponsors to really support what we're doing like we know what we're, I know what we're going to do is going to eventually change someone's life because I know I've been given all of those things I my mum afforded me tutors which was um amazing my brother and my dad supported me constantly um building up my confidence you know um and um and really being their supporters um for me and mentors when I needed them um and yeah like I've had men like I said I've had mentors throughout my university time telling me I'm good enough I think students just need someone to tell them that they're good enough and to help them when they don't feel like they are that's literally it and a lot of doing science is feeling like you're confident like imposter syndrome will get us all I promise you that like there's not one person walking out throughout this department that doesn't feel like they're not meant to be here or doesn't feel imposter syndrome but you always even though you have that nagging thought it doesn't mean you have to listen to it and it's about learning how to not listen to those thoughts it's about learning okay look like that might be true 
but I'm here now. So why not prove myself wrong? You know, surprise myself. And I think that's what I've done throughout my education. I've surprised myself, but I've only done that because I've had the confidence and the backing to do so. Like when I was doing my PhD or when I, before I started doing my PhD, I went to my personal tutor mentor and I was like to him, I just don't think I'm clever enough. And he was like, Lara, you're cleverer than most of the people in this department. I don't see why you wouldn't be good enough. Um, and I think he just said that as a compliment, but I think it's that true. You can't really see yourself the way you actually are. Um, and so having mentors will allow you to step back and be like, okay, can you look at what I'm doing? Am I good enough at this? Or what would you suggest? And it really just helps you build your confidence brick by brick. So that's what we're hoping to do for those students, build their confidence brick by brick, by brick not by just saying it, but providing them with evidence by their own achievement, you know? Like, uh -huh. look where you've come from. Yeah. Look what you've done. And I think that's the best way of growing someone's confidence, showing them how far they've progressed and grown. Mm, but also showing them how they can find their own evidence for themselves yeah. to support them moving forwards. Exactly. I would say on the imposter syndrome... <laughs> the vast majority of our thoughts in our head are not true, not real. Yes. Um, they're based in mythical unicorn land and we will find evidence to support any thought that we have in our heads, especially if it's something that's not a good story. So just in the same way that we create these awful stories about ourselves and our catastrophes about our futures, we can apply the same creative license to a positive spin on any of those and to challenge every thought with, what's the absolute truth here or how can I weave in a nice embellished story of what could happen rather so, than yeah this one this one person uh, her name's Shante Joseph she um was on her Instagram and she was like just be delusional and it's actually one of the best pieces of advice I had like because like speaking to lots of innovators they say it's this equal amount of self-doubt um people that start businesses self-doubt and self-belief right so you will have that imposter syndrome self-doubt. That's cool. That's always going to be there. But you always have to live delusionally. You have to believe even because what I guess what I mean by delusion is like, I guess delusion is something like beyond reality. And right now, believing that your business can thrive or believing that you're going to do well feels like beyond reality, right? So you have to be delusional. You have to tell yourself like, well, it's going to happen. Even if, even if everything inside you doesn't feel like it's going to happen, it like be delusional you know what I mean just absolutely believe in it anyway I do I'm doing it right now obviously we've just entered a recession here in the UK and my delusion is that um you know the recession is optional like I'm choosing not to opt in as a business to the recession <laughs> like and that's my mindset yeah and that's that's a completely like it's I think in this delusion like a sense of hope do you know what I mean? It's like the hope that, not that you won't be touched by it, but like it's the hope that like you will find a way. And I think that's that's the, that's the operative thing. It's like, okay, like this might not be my reality right now, but I will find a way because I believe in it so much. And that's why I say to everyone, find your why that's so powerful that even when you fail, or even if when you don't, uh, you don't uh, do well or you make a mistake or whatever, like that why is so strong that you keep going and you're still delusional that you're going to get it. Do you know what I mean? Like you're still like in that mindset that, okay, even though everything's gone a bit skew with, like my why is so strong that I, I know I'm going to get there eventually. 
Um, yes, because it's a navigational piece for you. It's a course corrector. When things don't work or things go off track, you can always bring yourself back on course. So I know we have some like time pressures with today's um, episode and I love to ask you so many questions and there's so many, so much more I want to ask, but I need to ask you two things before we finish. The first one is if you could go back to any moment in your timeline of your history of your life and you could whisper a piece of advice in your own ear this time, what Mm. moment would you go back to and what piece of advice would you give yourself? um it's a good question so I think when I was younger I went through quite a lot of mental health problems um because I guess my reality and myself didn't feel like they were really matching up and I just never really felt I was good enough for anyone and also just hormones were a nightmare um I reckon I'd go back to me when I was 13 14 and I hate these things, like, it's not even like it's going to be okay. Like, I guess I'll just be real with myself. It was it's not even a piece of advice to be like, yeah, okay, this sucks. This is gonna suck, but you will find a way. I know it sounds really stupid, but like, you will find a way. Like, like it's not, this is not it. Like, there's definitely a moment in year eight where I, I considered like doing something bad to myself. And I would have gone back to that moment and been like, honestly, this is tiny in the in the vast future that you're gonna have and now I say to myself will you care about this in 30 years and if my answer is no I let it go ah. so, so I say so then I yeah, have so a mentor say- when we um a mentor that always says to me you know you can either let this go now or you can hold on to it for another 20 30 years like what yeah. do you choose to do in this moment you're like ah, ah I need to let it go I need to let it it's true like I think I'd I'd give that piece of advice of like if you don't if you know these people who are treating you badly if you know they're not going to matter to your life in 30 years time let it go let them be mean let them say the things that they want to say because really and truly it doesn't matter it's not going to stop you shining like that's not going to do anything for you other than continue to pull you down you know yeah, I'd like to believe that I'd I'd, t- I'd try to teach or at least give myself an advice that would that would create a sense of hope, because being a teenager, especially in this country, and the way that we treat teenagers as just numbers, it's gonna suck no matter what we do. And I think that's a beautiful place to finish today because there is nothing more powerful than hope. No, there isn't. So thank you so much for being with us, Lara. I really appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. To get further support in your journey, join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.